Now I'd like to uh, just read uh, the last last part of, um, of the passage, uh, which, uh, and as I said, I'll return to the um, I'll return to the uh, to the heart of the passage I'm preaching from. But I actually just want to read uh, from verse 19. It says this. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they'd heard and seen as it had been told them. Now, the first thing I want to notice is this. Uh, Luke tells us at the beginning of uh, the, his uh, his gospel that he investigated carefully and he, he, he talk, obviously talked to witnesses how does he know what the Christmas story as, as it's told in his, his gospel well it's pretty clear from this particular verse he interviewed Mary you see uh, by, by actually um, identifying Mary as the one who treasured up all these things that had happened, uh, pondering them in her heart. Clearly, he's referring to a, a witness. And in fact, if, we, if, if you read the previous chapters, all of the previous chapters uh, of Luke actually concern the, the, uh, the birth of Christ from Mary's point of view. Quite an interesting, interesting um, um, way of looking at it. It involves... Uh, things that Mary saw, or they involved uh, um, Mary's relatives and um, uh, things that were said to Mary by the angel of uh, the angel, and also um, by other people. In fact, actually, I mean, it's quite interesting to look at Matthew. Matthew actually has a, a, a very different selection of events, and uh, it actually is a selection of events that. Joseph specifically is concerned with um, the, the vision to, to Joseph, and someone might say, "But well, well how, how could Luke possibly investigate Joseph? Joseph died uh, when Jesus was uh, before Jesus certainly started his ministry because he's, ne- he's never mentioned." Um, well, we know that there was an apostle who uh, was a a son of Joseph, James. Um, James, son of Zebedee, of course. Uh, uh, James and John, the brothers, uh, were, were different from uh, James, uh, the brother of Jesus, who later became um, uh, one of the leading apostles that Paul, Peter, uh, that Paul talks, talks about um, in Jerusalem, at the Council of Jerusalem. And uh, precisely because Paul... Uh, and possibly Luke had met James on and met James on a few occasions. It's quite possible it might have been James that preserved uh, the uh, records of Joseph's particular point of view in Matthew's Gospel. Now, why am I saying this? Well, I'm saying it actually because um, it it, it uh, calls in, in, into kind of uh, uh, into the focus or puts into focus. Um, what, is, what are these events about? Well, Mary treasured these memories. And, and of course, we now have these stories in the Word of God. Do we treasure the Word of God 
Is it really our treasure? Silas Marner, the, you know, in, in George Eliot's novel, used to get out his gold coins each night and count them, look at them, and, you know, do we treasure the Word of God? Not just the Christmas story, but all of the Word of God. And do we ponder on them? Do we meditate upon them? Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and thus was able to pass on to Luke uh, what had happened to her. And it's only as we treasure the word of God that obviously we grow as Christians, but also that we can actually pass on to other people. If we just pass on our feelings, that's okay, but it's not actually going to instruct people in the way of salvation or, for that matter, um, uh, once they become Christians, how to grow as a Christian. We need to be pondering and treasuring the word of God to be able to be involved in uh, this wonderful ministry that the angels had of proclaiming good news and uh, proclaiming good news of great joy for the whole planet, which I'm going to be looking at in my sermon. Henry, could you give the notices, please? Well, uh, welcome to us here, and welcome to any who may be online. Um, and uh, just like to uh, say that we won't be having um, the prayer meeting tomorrow night, the usual Monday prayer meeting, uh, because of the bank holiday, uh, or for that matter, the following Monday as well. Uh, but we will be having on Wednesday our Bible study and uh, because we won't be having prayer time on Monday, we will also be allowing some extra time for prayer on, on Wednesday. Um, and then uh, next Sunday, uh, Ed is due to meet, Ed is due to speak morning and evening, um, so do pray for Ed this week. And we will be still having the morning prayer time each, each morning, including tomorrow, um, uh, on Zoom. Uh, at 9.30, so do feel free to join us uh, for, for those times. Um, and then, uh, so to give forward notice, that uh, on Tuesday the 17th of, of January uh, 2023, I'm planning, God willing, to start a new uh, class, um, Introduction to Christianity, a new round. I've done this before, as some of you will know, uh, but I'm starting a new course uh, for anybody who would like, who would be interested to know the basics of Christianity. You might have been on the course before, but you might want to join us again, um, or if you're new to the church, you might want to come for the first time. So uh, just do remember that, and if you've got some friends who might be interested, do let them know as well. Okay, thank you. I'd like to read again from chapter 2, verse 8. So that's page 1118, Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy... That will be for all the people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a, a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will be fi- find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace amongst those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from, uh, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they'd heard and seen as it had been told them. Now I'd like to pray before looking into this passage. Oh, Father in heaven, we do thank you for uh, the wonderful truths of Scripture. Lord, uh, it isn't, Lord, that, there, that we can't find uh, much in the Bible. There's so much, oh God, that you have revealed. Um, a thousand lifetimes, Lord, uh, would be necessary to delve into the depths of your word. Um, but, Lord, we thank you for this passage, and we pray, Lord, that you will... Uh, speak to us tonight from it. Speak to our souls of our ne- of our souls' needs. Speak to us, Lord, of your provision and your gifts. And Lord, grant that uh, those who don't have faith, Lord, will this this evening uh, receive faith from your hands. Will be warmed in their hearts. Will come to Christ. And those of us, Lord, uh, who already know the Lord, we pray that you will encourage us to press on, uh, to know Him better, to serve Him. Uh, with more uh, vigor. And uh, Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, um, some of you may have been confused uh, because I gave the wrong verse numbers on the, on the, uh, the, uh, the poster on, uh, online. Uh, I'm looking at the poster, uh, looking at the verses I've just read. Starting at, in the same region, this is verse 8, the same re- verse... Uh, eight, yes, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Do you know, I'm, I'm 71 years old. I've, I've, I've been attending Christmases services for at least 60, well, more than that, 63, 64 of those years. <laughs> and I didn't actually notice this until this last week, which is Christmas happened on Christmas night. You know, if we are going to select December the 25th as Christmas Day, uh, uh, the, you know, the, the actual 24-hour period in which Jesus was born, well, Jesus was actually born in the, in the evening, so, like now, you know, rather, uh, rather than uh, the morning when people open their presents. Only a small point, but uh, it does make a Christmas evening service... Um, all the more precious, isn't it, on the Lord's Day? How wonderful it is, wherever you are, online or here in the church, how wonderful it is that we are remembering an evening when Jesus was born. He was born in the evening of, of the Christmas Day. And, and you know, um, and, and in some ways, I suppose, you know, uh, um, that may be down to the 
the Jewish calendar or whatever the reason is um, that uh, the new day starts on the evening um, of the actual Christmas day. Now, I want us to notice, though, that although this happened at night, the shepherds were keeping watch over their flocks by night. Night is often, uh, both in, in secular poetry as well as, of course, in the Bible, is the time of gloom and despondency and the time of, of depression for many of us. The night time, uh, it takes away the joys of the sun. And yet it was in the night time that Jesus Christ brought light, joy, and hope to this world. The shepherds were themselves out there keeping watch over their flock. Uh, being a shepherd was a hard job. Uh, you had to stay awake during the night to make sure that animals, predators, weren't nicking your flock, or for that matter, the flock even drifting away. Um, and they were there watching their flock by night. Uh, shepherds have a very bad press in latest scholarship of the last 50 years or so because often it's repeated and I've actually repeated it in a sermon that, uh, that shepherds were, were, were given a very poor reputation they were thought of as thieves and vagabonds and so on and so forth now actually having checked that in a bit more detail uh, actually the only evidence we have of that is from the 3rd and 4th century AD that the Jewish people thought of shepherds like that um, Actually, of course, the Bible has a very, uh, a, a very honourable picture given to the role of a shepherd. David was a shepherd. The shepherds of Israel were those who were supposed to be looking after the flock. The good shepherd of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. How, what, uh, what the most wonderful uh, kind of... Uh, Background of the idea of a shepherd is that of the Lord Himself and all of His holiness and all of His goodness and all of His love is the Good Shepherd. So uh, I, I think we can take with a guarded re- uh, idea that these shepherds were all a bunch of scoundrels, thieves, and, uh, and, and untrustworthy people that third-century Jewish sources say shepherds were like. They were rough men. They were probably coarse. They may not have been very religious, but Uh, They weren't scoundrels. Actually, isn't that just like the average English person? The average English working class person? Or for that matter, the average aristocrat. (laughs) Often coarse, rebellious against God, unholy. Not terrible people, but not actually holy in God's sight. And yet how wonderful it is that these unholy men, they weren't murderers, but they were unholy, had this most amazing experience uh, that we're told of in this passage. Verse 9, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now, it's very interesting to contrast another shepherd with these shepherds' experience. Moses, the great founder of, of Israel, of Israel's law, under the hand of God, of course, of giving all of the, 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 the Ten Commandments, but also all of the individual laws that are found in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. He was a shepherd. And what happened when he was, when, when he was uh, tending the sheep? He had an encounter with the angel of the Lord. 
and well. Now, I want to notice that there are relevant, interesting comparisons, but there's, there's, there's big differences too. Because Moses, when he, when he met the angel of the Lord, it was a matter of curiosity. He saw this burning bush. And he, and he, he, he said, oh, I wonder what that is. That's interesting. Let's go over and look at it. He was then warned by the angel. Take off the shoes from your, from your feet because the area in which you're standing is holy ground. Moses had no fear as he approached the burning bush. And maybe even when he'd taken the shoes off from his, from his feet, I'm not sure that he, he was stricken with fear. Because he even, he even argued with the voice of God. Remember, he had this, you know, all these questions. Well, if I go to Egypt, they won't accept me and, and so on. Now, I want us to notice that these men, these ordinary men, unholy men, they were stricken with fear because they were convicted of the presence of God and they were convicted of their own sinfulness. Now, I'm I'm implying that, but I can see no other reason for them being absolutely shuddering, filled with great fear. In fact, uh, mega fear, (laughs) that's what the Greek says, megas, mega fear great fear they were shaken because the glory of the lord shone around them now here is a a fact that the bible puts forward which is this is that before someone can really come to christ the glory of the lord must be revealed to them the glory of god in the face of christ now there are Two aspects to that glory. One is the glory of God's love, which evangelists often have have the greater emphasis on, and perhaps rightly. But also, of course, the Bible tells talks to us about the the glory of God being a horrifying experience for a sinful person who has no saviour. Because when the glory of God shines. Uh, of God's holiness and justice shines into the heart, it shakes us to the core. Because suddenly it shines a light on all of the filth, the hatred, the bitterness, the rebelliousness, all of the, the things where we've broken God's laws and gone without him and selfishly turned away from him. Suddenly it's all exposed. And more than that, we become aware of the great judgment of God that we must one day face. An inevitable End to our, our to our our, uh, our pilgrimage is not the grave, but is the judgment seat, and that rightly should fill you with dread and fear if you don't have a saviour. And it and it it's a it's a horrible experience, and yet it's a merciful one because it, if someone is shaken to the core and they cry out, "What must I do to be saved?" That's a mercy if you reach that point. If you've reached that point, you know, you're online and you, you've been, you, you really are uh, discomforted by your life and where you're going, what's going to happen when you die. And you're saying, Lord, what can I do to be saved? Then the Lord has led you to that point. And, of course, then the glory of the love of God and of the message of the gospel will come forth. And indeed, this is what happens with the, with the angels. Uh, sorry, the angels and, the, and the, the shepherd. The angel and the shepherd. Verse 9, And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, 
For I bring you great good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now again, it's mega joy. <laughs> That's what it is. Mega joy for mega fear. Mega joy. Overflowing wonderful happiness in knowing God. And uh, we know that uh, these, these, um, these shepherds came to faith. They, they, they came. The Lord uh, granted that they actually came to a faith in the Messiah that was about to be born. And they came to see the Messiah, as we'll see later on in the passage. And um, uh, the, the joy of the Lord started themselves to fill them, as we, as we can see from, from their behavior later. But I want to notice this, that therefore, um, you know, Christmas, uh, the Christmas story, the incarnation story, is a story of joy. And I, I, would, you know, I want to say this, that there's nothing wrong with family feasts and celebrations um, that are involved in Christmas. Uh, in fact, of course, the Bible um, makes clear that family celebrations and giving of presents and a perfectly part of a righteous life. Um, the Bible describes Job as, as a righteous person. And uh, indeed, the Lord holds him up as an example of someone fearing God. When, when, uh, when Satan questions the character of, uh, of Job, um, he's held up as an example of righteousness. What do we find at the beginning of Job in the first chapter in verse 4? Job's sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, probably their birthdays. And they'd send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Now notice, and it says Job did this continually. Job didn't think that feasting was wrong or sinful. Having a party was wrong or sinful. Celebrating was wrong or sinful. But he was aware that it's possible, of course, in celebrating to sin. And so he, he prayed for them constantly. He prayed for his children constantly. That in their activities, not just, of course, in their, in their feastings, but also, I'm sure, in their comings and goings and their workings and in their families, that they should not sin. But as I said, as the Bible describes Job as righteous, uh, well, it wouldn't have done so if uh, he'd been encouraging sinful feasting, if it, if it was sinful. And in fact, of course, we see the same with Jesus. Jesus tells parables involving banquets and feasting. And if, if it's inherently wrong to have a celebration, um, then uh, Jesus wouldn't have used metaphors like this, talking about the kingdom of God. For that matter, when Jesus celebrated a wedding feast in Cana, both by his attendance and supplying copious resources of wine, uh, it's clear Jesus was showing it was quite possible to have a party, a feast, a celebration, a banquet without sinning. And the giving of gifts at Christmas, another aspect of Christmas, is perfectly consonant with Jesus' teaching. Jesus said, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, even though you're evil, you still... You know, you still got that bit about you which is, is decent, which is you give nice gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So, it's perfectly in order for us to accept hu the human joys of social interaction, which is also involved in, 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 in feasting, but also involved in, in the modern Christmas. But, 
this message to the, to, from the angels to the, of the angel to the shepherd is about a greater joy than can ever be seen amongst human activities. The joy, the mega joy he's talking about is not what people are experiencing in the pubs, you know, last night or tonight. It's not even what, uh, talking about the joy and the, the happiness that we've had in our families. If you, if you've, uh, you know, uh, have had a lovely Christmas day with your family, um, that's great and good, but that's not just the mega joy that uh, the angel was talking about. Yet God gives us all we need to, eat, to have good enjoyments in life. In fact, the good enjoyments in life are a witness to the goodness of God and are there because God has chosen that they should actually telegraph to us that God is good. Paul says in Acts, uh, uh, in Acts 14, 17, when he, when he was trying to stop the people at Lystra sacrificing to him, because he'd done a miracle and they thought he was a god, he said, God did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. So, the, you know, uh, the, the enjoyment of life, innocent pleasures of life, feasting and partying and banqueting, is, uh, is, is actually meant to, to proclaim the goodness of God in just the same way as the whole, the whole scientific universe pours forth the knowledge of, of God. So Christianity isn't a killjoy religion. But the source of everlasting joy will not be found in this world's joys. God gives us human joys. He's planned us as social beings interacting with the social world and to find a measure of happiness, a measure of satisfaction amongst our fellow human beings. Um, But of course this is in innocent pleasures. Joy, yes, in human interaction, Drugs, drunkenness, no. Love, yes. Fornication, gambling, other kinds of self-centered and nasty pursuits, no. The social innocent joys of this world witness to God's goodness. And uh, it's, you know, it's, worth, it's worth emphasizing this point. Actually, my favorite Christian writers were the Puritans. Uh, some Puritans went a bit beyond the Bible in condemning uh, kind of social, uh, normal social interactions. Um, in 1644, Christmas celebrations were officially declared illegal <laughs> uh, till 1660, 16 years. If you were actually having a Christmas party, you got arrested by... by uh, uh, or, or, or by uh, the, uh, the authorities and you, you would be punished uh, between 1653 to 1658 if I, if I was conducting a service then I would be arrested for conducting a Christmas service and not just on a Sunday but on any day of the week um, for five years anybody holding a special Christmas church service was arrested now as I said the people who uh, who, uh, who enforced these rules weren't all the Puritans but some of the Puritans that actually were in Parliament um, actually um, poured forth these very unpopular laws which were eventually rescinded so I think it's really important that we get a balanced a balanced view the joys, the human joys that God gives yeah, 
perfectly okay for us to have. But this passage is telling us much more about the mega joy that comes from being saved. The real joy of Christmas is found in the gospel message. Actually, um, it says, um, the angel says this, um, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Now, actually, it's I evangelize you. The, the, the angel was evangelizing people with this good news of great joy. I evangelize. Good news of great joy. That will be for the people. Now, this good news of great joy, those who are Christians know this. We know this. But I hope that just as I, I list them, um, that we may actually ourselves feed on the thought of it and, and, and grant that our joy and gladness in the Lord will rise. For instance... Satan's authority over, over humans was about to be cancelled and now is cancelled. Now what, what I mean by that is that those who come to Christ are now no longer under Satan's power. He's been cast out of heaven, but he's been cast out of the believer's heart. Though we may sin or though he may tempt us, he can't control us any longer. Praise the Lord. We may fall he may laugh, but the Lord grants that we can recover and we can ask for forgiveness. We can start again. Now, I may be talking to someone online that is really in a pit and feel that the devil can, is in control. But if you trust in Christ and you've trusted in Christ, you will rise again. Just trust him again. Ask for forgiveness. Grant, uh, uh, grant, uh, ask, ask that God will grant you repentance and that you'll move on with him. Wonderful thing to know this, that the way to join peace with God is open to all who call upon him. No one who calls upon the name of the Lord will be disappointed, whether they be a backslider or someone who's never ever uh, been been, uh, in the kingdom at all. There may be someone online listening that has heard lots about Christianity. May you've grown up in a church, but you've never really received Jesus as your Lord. This is good news of great joy that he was born for us. He was born for people. He was born this, this day in the city of David, a saviour who is Christ the Lord. And it will be a sign for you. You will be find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. In the case of if you're an unbeliever, of course Jesus is no longer a baby. He's no longer even a human being who died and suffered on the cross, who was God made man in a human body, who, who died and suffered on the cross. But he's now exalted in heaven and he, he offers to you now new life, forgiveness, eternal life, if you trust him. God has demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's kingdom has been set up, which is an everlasting kingdom. Um, churches rise and they fall. Um, some churches grow to 5,000, 6,000, 7,000, and then they shrink again down to a few hundred. I mean, this happened in, the, in, the, in Spurgeon's church. Churches come, and sometimes they go. Sometimes they cease to exist. But God's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom that will never be destroyed. The outward, uh, the outward uh, visible churches may change, 
Some churches may close, but God's kingdom is still working and still growing. The kingdom of, our, of Jesus Christ has outlived the Roman Empire, all of the petty kings of medieval Europe, the Chinese Empire and all of its emperors, the Indian rulers and all of their kingdoms, the com- communist, communism uh, in Europe and all of, uh, all of the petty rulers of, uh, of communist, uh, communist Europe have all fallen and gone. And yet, and all of these people in one form or other set their, their sights against the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ. But the kingdom of Jesus is going on and it is triumphing and it's going on forever. No matter what's going to happen in the future, it's going to outlive, it's going to outlive Europe, European pagan progressivism or Chinese communism or American capitalistic sexual exploitation. Uh, all of the corporations, industries, politicians that support that, uh, that movement that has corrupted millions and millions of lives. The kingdom of God is... And the kingdom of Jesus is everlasting. And of course, this joy and peace, uh, we're told, is indeed for, well, it's for all people. But then again, it's also qualified exactly who, who um, actually gets this peace and joy. Um, so... It, it says um, in verse 10, the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, the shepherds probably would have understood the angel to speak, be speaking about the people of Israel. Um, the, um, obviously, they would have uh, heard the message in Aramaic, these shepherds. That was the common, the common language of, uh, of Palestine. Um, Luke uh, had translated uh, that message uh, about people in Aramaic into the Greek word laos, which is a common word uh, which is used in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, um, for the people of Israel. Uh, So it's quite possible that if they knew their, um, their, their Bibles, and particularly if they knew the Septuagint, um, then they, uh, they would have understood that uh, the angel was talking about Christ, the Messiah, for all the people of Israel. But of course, we have to put this in a larger context. The angel um, was uh, speaking the word of God. The word of God as a whole tells us that God had revealed Abraham, to Abraham that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. And in the Old Testament... Um, it becomes clearer and clearer that the message of salvation would go out to the whole earth. And indeed, like in the message of, um, of Hosea, people that were not my people are now people, are now my people, that indeed the love of God and the, the message of the invitation of the gospel will go out to the whole world, to all the people in the whole world. In the, in the New Testament, it's absolutely clear that this is so. Um, James, um, the, the apostle, the, the, the um, man I mentioned earlier, that may be the source for um, Matthew's, um, Matthew's nativity story. James said this in, at the end of the Jeru- Jerusalem council. Simon, Peter, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name, a laos for his name. 
So what we have is a message of great joy that will be for all the peoples. A general message of great joy for all the peoples. But then we have a qualification. Because later uh, he goes on to say, well, I say he goes on to say, uh, actually an army of angels appears in verse uh, to the shepherds in verse 13. Suddenly there was with the angel an army. Um, most versions say a multitude of the heavenly, of the heavenly hosts, but uh, the actual word means an army. An army of angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace amongst those with whom he is pleased. Or, better translation is, upon whom God's favor rests. Those upon the... Who, upon whom God's grace rests. Those who've received God's grace, we might uh, you know, further you know, kind of interpret it to be. So in, a, in other words, it's not a question uh, that men are somehow being able to, to uh, acquire salvation willy-nilly. It's God's decision to bless specific people with salvation. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace amongst those with whom, on whom his favor rests. Now, here, if you're, if you're a, not, not a believer yet, you might think, oh, I'm blocking the way. Uh, surely, if I've got to wait, how do I know whether God wants me, has selected me? How, how can this be so? Well, the answer is, actually, God doesn't ask you to look inside yourself. And uh, to go around and around in circles, has God selected me for the next five years? No, not at all. The Bible says this, whoever wills can come. Whoever wants to can come. That's what Jesus said. Those were his last words to the world in the book of Revelation. Whoever wants the water of life may come. If you wish to receive Christ... Then come to him and you will have him of a certainty. And actually that very process, that very desire that you have to come to him is actually God who is working in you to produce that desire. If uh, you've had a long and difficult road in your life and you finally said, I really want to come uh, to Christ tonight, then come to him and receive forgiveness. Receive the salvation that he offers receive mega peace and mega joy and the glory of God in your life by just coming to the Lord Jesus Christ now. Now you might say, well, I can't. How do, how, what do I do? Do I look up in the stars and see him? No. Close your eyes and think of the words that he's said and trust him. And he will, he will um, show himself to you. That's what Jesus said. I will, I will show myself uh, to those who trust me. And so, uh, to finish, I want to, to, to say this, that the result of, for the shepherds of this experience was, firstly, they wanted to come to Christ. Uh, look, what, look what happens. Uh, what, uh, verse, uh, eight, um, sorry, verse 15. When the angels went away from them to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, 
Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Let's see the Messiah. Let's see this baby that's born to be uh, the king. Let's go to him. And they went with haste. They didn't hang around. They didn't say, oh, well, I'll wait for another five years. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time to receive Christ. Now is the time for the shepherds to actually come to, uh, to see the baby Jesus. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the sayings that had been told them concerning this child to Mary. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds said, told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they'd heard and seen as he, as he as had been told to them. Now notice the symmetry there is between the message of the angel and the angels and what was happening in the shepherd's life. The message of the gospel was given by the angels. The shepherds received it. The angels glorify God and, and uh, uh, there's a multi, an army of them praising God. And what happens to these new believers, these people that now are trusting in Jesus the Messiah? Of course, they had no idea exactly the shape and form that Jesus would be in, in the coming years. Uh, some of them would have lived. Uh, no doubt some of them became disciples. Some of them uh, may have died uh, of old age before Jesus uh, had actually reached that point in his life. But they, they actually trusted and believed and they then started to tell other people as of, and were praising God for what they had seen. They returned to their fields glorifying and praising God for all they'd heard and seen. Filled with praise. Because that is the eventual destiny for every one of us who are believers. To be praising and glorifying God forever in heaven. And uh, of course on earth we, we do this in our own, our own private life. In our corporate life of praise and prayer. Um, but also we do this as we live a life which is to the glory of God. And as we tell people, we evangelize people. With the same evangel that the, uh, that the uh, angel had. Proclaiming good news of great joy for the whole planet. 